How many of you know what Thursday is? Thursday is the last day of our fast, okay? You say, well, you're the only one counting. Well, I'm into counting, okay, when it comes to fast. Uh, if you've ever been on a food fast, you, you would know what I'm talking about. But uh, we want to uh, finish well, and I just want to encourage you, continue to confront religion. Continue, even after we, we finish this fast, continue to confront it. Because it will rear its ugly head every chance it can. And it will do everything it can to, to, to suck you back into its clutches. Okay? Uh, the devil wants us to be saturated with religion. He doesn't want us to find relationship. Because when we find relationship, it changes us. It, it just, it, it, it explodes it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm, I'm excited today. I, I get to share something today that just, uh, I mean, it spins my wheels. It excites me, okay? So I, I may spit and sputter some today, and, and I don't know. I'm just, I'm excited about this. But I want to talk about the rewards of an inter, intimate relationship with God. And last week, we looked at the book of Ruth, and we looked at, at Ruth and, 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 and the things that she did in her pursuit of Boaz. And how they relate to our pursuit of God. And so we're going to look at the other side of that today. We're going to look at Boaz's response which relates to how God responds. All of us hunger for an intimate relationship with God. He created us with that, with that appetite, with that, with that ravenous hunger within us that only He can satisfy. And the wonder of this truth is, and you'll hear me say this today, several times is that God desires us just as much as we need Him. Now I want you to think about that. God desires us as much as we need Him. See, God doesn't need anything. Okay? He wants, He desires us. Now that'll mess you up. Okay, I'm just going to tell you if, you, if you just consider that the rest of the sermon, you'll be messed up when you leave here, all right? Relationship is a, is a mutual pursuit. It, it requires mutual pursuit. It takes two people pursuing each other. And without a mutual pursuit, there's no relationship. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's your relationship to God. God is pursuing us, folks. Just look at the cross. It's evident that God has pursued us. But in relationship, we pursue Him as well. It's, it's give and take. It's, it's mutual pursuit. And last week we looked at what we have to do, what we must do in our pursuit of God. And this week, I just want to show you an inkling of just a few things of what God will do. I mean, we could go on from now on and talk about what God will do. But I've, I've just got a few things that I want to share with you. But I'll tell you this. If you will pursue God, if you will pursue Him, the benefits of His pursuit will blow you away. He will lavish His love. He won't just sprinkle it. He will lavish. I don't know if you, if you understand what the word lavish means. The word lavish is a picture of, of a, I'm just going to use good southern terms because that's where I'm from, but it's a bucket sitting on the ground. And it's somebody with a bigger bucket just pouring. And you know, we, we tend to stop when we get the bucket full. God just pours and it runs over and it just runs over. and He just keeps pouring. That's what it means to lavish. God lavishes. He pours His love out on us and it just runs over. It just runs over. And if you pursue God, He will pursue you. You can't out-pursue God. I'm going to share some things today that, that may shock you, okay? You may not be prepared for them. You may not have heard them put in terms, perhaps, like I'm going to share, but they're still true. And so I want to go back today, and I want us to look at, at Ruth chapter 3, and I want to give you a picture of how God will respond to you when you do what Ruth did. When, when you pursue, like Ruth pursued Boaz, Boaz responded Listen to me, God will respond. When, when Boaz awoke that night, you know, we left Ruth last week. She was, she was a, and I said this last week, she's an Old Testament picture of us. 
She really is. The book of Ruth is a picture of, of, the, of, the, of, 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 of human beings and of God. And Ruth represents human beings. And, and Ruth is a picture of she's hopeless. She, her situation's hopeless. She's totally helpless. She, she couldn't do anything for herself. She was desperate. And whether we like to think of that being in that condition or not, that's where we all are. We are helpless, hopeless, and without hope. We're desperate. And so Ruth is a picture of that. Boaz, on the other hand, is a picture of Jesus Christ. Boaz, if you study the book of Ruth very closely, Boaz is, is, is what is known as in, in Hebrew as a goel. And the goel was the kinsman redeemer. And in Israel, it was a big deal that the land of a family not be lost. Not that somebody else get it. It was supposed to be passed from, from generation to gener, generation. I, I've, I'm just, I'm in Joshua right now and they're, they're allotting up the land in my Bible reading. And so it just reminds me of that. God gave them the land. Okay? And it was to stay in their families no matter what. Death wasn't to, to cause that land to be given to foreigners or to somebody else. It was to stay within the family, within the clan, within the tribe that it was allotted to. And so there were, there were uh, provisions made. God had made provisions that, that when a man died, his brother was to marry his widow if there were no children. He was to marry the widow, and he was to give her a child, a son, to continue the name. The name was not to be lost. In Ruth's case, her husband died, her, her, his brother died, and his father died. There, there was nobody left in their line except for Ruth. Naomi was too old. And so they go back to, 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 to the land of Israel. They go back to, to, to Bethlehem, to the area that they, their family lived in, and what would happen if, if there was no brother left, then the closest relative was to, to marry that widow. And he was to, to, to give her a child. And that child then would, would take the name of the, of the father and, and would continue that, that line. And so Boaz is one of the relatives of Naomi's husband. He's not the closest but he's right in there. And so he's known in Scripture as a kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer in the New Testament. He came to redeem us, to buy us back, to buy what was God had given us back, to exchange himself. And so Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. And if you remember last week, we, we left the story. Ruth had pursued Boaz as far as she could pursue him. She'd done everything within her power. She was lying at his feet. And we left her. She'd ask this question. Cover me with the hem of your robe. Put your wing over me. In other words, marry me. That's where we left her. And Boaz, it got really quiet. I mean, you could hear the crickets chirping. I'm sure. And I, I, don't think, I don't think Boaz responded immediately. I think he was shocked. I think he was, he was, he was you know, startled. But Ruth had pursued him as far as she could go. And her answer, the answer to her desperation, rested in Boaz. Now she's got to wait for him to respond. You know what? Sometimes that's true in our desperation. We have to wait for God to respond. And we don't like to wait. How many of y'all like to wait in line? Can I just tell you, I detest taking a number and checking my... There, there's a commercial on right now with, where, where they, they have kids that are act out what it does. And this little girl, I think it's a little girl, she takes this number, she looks up at the board, she looks at her number, she just sticks it to her head. That I hate. And whenever I get in a line, I am guaranteed that it will shut down. I mean, I, you don't get behind me, okay? I'm just telling you, if you see me at Walmart, go to another line because it's going to shut down. It's just I, just, I hate to stand in line. We hate to wait. But you know what? 
The appetite that I'm talking about, only God can satisfy it. You and I can't satisfy it. Most of us could raise our hand and say, hey, we've tried and we failed. That's because we can't satisfy it. I want you to hear me right now. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, if you hear this, you'll be in good shape. If you will pursue God with all your heart, you will find him. I'm going to say it again. If you will pursue God with all your heart, you will find him. He will meet you in that place. Not every once in a while, not occasionally, but every time. Every time, if you will pursue him with all your heart, he will meet you there. If you pursue God, you'll recognize and you'll realize that there are some rewards of his pursuing you as well. See, there's blessings that come from just being in his presence. And God will respond. And his response will always overwhelm you. It will always be more. I don't know, I don't know of a way to, to say it. I'm, I'm kind of speaking in superlatives. But when you try to describe the gracious love of God, even superlatives are insufficient. There are no words. I sort of understand why when, when John's writing the book of the Revelation and he sees these things, he doesn't have words to describe it. So he says, hey, it, they were like streets of gold and they were like, the gates were like pearls. It was beyond his, his ability and superlatives just sort of fell short. But when you pursue God, God pursues back. I want you to look at Ruth chapter 3 verse 10. And we're going to start there. Boaz finally responds. And he says this. He sa then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after younger men, whether rich or poor. I'm just going to get real here. Bo Boaz liked the fact that Ruth had set her eyes on him. Okay? He liked that. That turned his motor. Okay? That cranked his car, whatever you want to call it. It excited him. He kind of stepped back. And, you know? Chest went out, head went back. He liked the fact that she had chosen him. She had gone after what she wanted. She, she wasn't confused. She was not willing to settle for anything less. She was very specific. She was very determined. And you know what? His passion was aroused for her. Now, this may, may, may short-circuit you. God is passionate. That's not a word in our, in our 21st century that we, we very often connect with God. But God is passionate. Everything God does, He does passionately. He does not halfway do anything. Now that may bother you, but it's true. There are five times in the Old Testament where God declares this emphatically. He says, uh, he said the, one of the first times is in Exodus 20, verse 5. He says, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Let, let me translate that. I'm the God who will not share you with anything or anyone else. I want all of you. That's what God is saying. Folks, that's passion. All of us want to be wanted. That's a human need. It's a basic human need. All of us want to be wanted. All of us want to be loved. And God loves us, and He loves us passionately. He's on fire with passion. He loves us so much. You say, Nelson, that's just too far. Listen to me. God is a passionate God. We were created in His image and likeness. You know where passion comes from? It, it's not, it doesn't come from sin. It can be aroused by sin. It comes from God because God is a passionate being. I love it when Jesus goes to the temple. He goes twice and he cleans it out. 
I mean, he gets excited. He gets passionate about it. And I, I love what, what John chapter 2 verse 17 says. He says, they remember as Jesus is turning the tables over and his, as he's driving the, the money changers out in the, in the cellars of goats and sheep and, and, and lambs and, and turtle doves and all the other animals. They remember that, that the Old Testament says, zeal for your house will consume me. How many of you realize that there is more than a meaning there for the temple proper? Who is the house of God in the New Testament? The body of Christ. The people who worship God. You know why Jesus became so so passionately angry? It was not because they were selling worship supplies. It was not because they were changing money. Listen, you could only pay in temple currency. You couldn't use money from Galilee and, and from, from the Medi- you know, some of the Mediterranean countries. You had to use the temple currency. So they had to exchange their money to make their offering. If you were going to offer a sacrifice, and most of the people there came for that reason, and most of them came from long distances, you couldn't drag a little lamb 70 miles, 80 miles, 250 miles. You you, you couldn't carry birds under your arm for that long. You had to purchase them. They were necessary parts of worship. You know why Jesus became passionately angry? It's because they had put their tables in the place where if we had been there, the Gentiles, we couldn't have got in there to worship. He was angry because they had shut his people out. He was not angry because they were, they were selling and buying. I hear people all the time, well, we're not supposed to sell or buy in the Lord's house. That's out of context, okay? He was passionately angry because the people that God loved couldn't even get in the house. They couldn't get in. The zeal was a passionate response of his love for those who'd been excluded They'd fill the court of the Gentiles with their stalls and and their tables and it blocked those pilgrims' access. And Jesus got passionate about it. Now, if you don't think God is a passionate, that His love is not passionate, I want to give you an assignment this afternoon, okay? Go home and read the Song of Solomon. Y'all heard about, y'all heard the Song of Solomon. It's not one you hear preached very often. You don't hear an exegesis verse by verse of the Song of Solomon very often in very many churches. Go home and read that. The Old Testament people, the Jews believed that it, that it, was, it was the love of God for His bride. The early church interpreted it as the love of, of Jesus for His church. And it is a passionate narrative. God is a passionate God. He's a passionate lover. And if you pursue God with all your heart, His passion will be aroused for you. Aroused for you. Boaz's passion was aroused. I mean, she could have, what he's thinking in his head is she could have had anybody else she wanted. She's obviously a very beautiful woman. And she's got very, uh, very high character. She's got very high morals. She could have had any of the young men, but she's chosen me. Folks, when we go after God, God knows if we've chosen Him or not. God will not be one of many. He's going to be it. That's just the way it is. Maybe you've, you've you know, the first reward of an, of an intimate relationship with God is the passion of God. The passion of God. Maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe you think, Nelson, you are talking out of the side of your head. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Well, perhaps the problem is not how you've entered the presence of God. Perhaps the the, the problem is with the why. Why have you come there? Remember what we said last week about motives? God's passion is aroused when we choose Him over everything else. Love and devotion captures God's heart it's not our abilities it's not our works it's not our capabilities it's our love and our devotion 
And so the first benefit of an intimate relationship with God is the passion of God. We get to experience the passion of God. Folks, there is no passion in religion. But there is passion in relationship. And all of us need that passion. The second thing, the second reward of an intimate relationship with God is peace. Peace. Listen to what Ruth, verse 11, the very first part says. He says, now my daughter, do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Fear has no no place here. You're secure. You're safe. And listen to me. Fear has no place in the, in the intimate presence of God. I love what 2 Timothy 1.7 says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I love what John, 1 John 4.18 says. There is no fear in love. For perfect love casts out all fear. Listen to me. God's name, one of his names is Jehovah Shalom. The God who is our peace. Peace and love are attributes of God. They're his very essence. And in his presence, there is perfect peace. Boaz told Ruth not to be afraid. Listen, she must have been terrified. I mean, she'd stepped out. There was no going back for her. We don't seem to realize that, but I mean, she'd taken a, a step over the edge. It was either, it was, she was all in. It was either what she needed or it was disaster. There was no going back, no retreat. So she must have been terrified. She, she had hid in the darkness, in the, in the edge, out of the light for hours. And then she had come over to Boaz and she had basically surrendered and submitted Whatever happens next is out of her control. And she had laid down at his feet. And when he awakened, she had basically said, marry me. Okay? You may be here today. And you have experienced what marry me, no, means. Okay? That she was terrified that she was going to get a no. She was terrified. She was terrified that somebody might find out that she had been there. And that her reputation would be ruined. You know how people talk, don't you? Y'all know how people talk, don't you? This story is rife with, with opportunities to build another story out of. And some biblical interpreters have done that. Listen, nothing happened between this couple. Nothing. She didn't seduce him. She submitted. She lay down at his feet. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't fear. He met her at her greatest point of need. She was afraid he would send her away. But he says, don't be afraid. Over and over and over, we hear that throughout the, the Word of God. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Someone told me once, I've heard it said by a pastor, that there's 365 do not fears. Now, I didn't count them, so I, I don't know. But there's a lot of them. I'm reading the book of Joshua right now. There's a lot of, don't be afraid. God tells Joshua that. Then Joshua continually tells the people of Israel that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God says to you and me this morning, fear not. Don't be afraid. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. And remember, when he says this, he's about to go out. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be beaten and abused. And he's about to be crucified. Okay? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be stressed out. Don't let them be fearful. Peace I leave with you. Let me illustrate. Maybe you'll understand what I'm saying this morning this way. Have you ever been around someone who had on a little bit too much perfume or a little bit too much cologne? You ever been around somebody like that? And you were in their presence, and you were in their presence for a while, and when you left, you carried the aroma with you. You know what I'm talking about? Even after you, you left, and even after they left, the place still smelled like the cologne or the perfume. 
Listen to me. When you and I spend time in the intimate presence of God, we will be saturated with his peace. You can't spend time in God's presence and it not be peaceful. Okay? But, but, but no buts. His peace just comes. Because that's who he is. Some of you need a moment in his presence this morning. Some of you need to be saturated with his peace. That's his promise. Some of you need that peace more than you need the next paycheck. Or you need the next meal. Or you need the next breath. Because you need a moment of peace. A moment when you don't have to hear the enemy's accusations. You don't have to hear the condemnations. You don't have to hear the lies. You don't, you, a moment where you can just regain your balance. You ever stumbled? You know, if you don't regain your balance, what happens? You fall right on your face most of the time. Folks, that's what the enemy is trying to do with his lies and his accusations. He wants us to stumble and he wants us to fall. But when that peace comes into that situation, it's like a set of invisible hands grab us. And we may be inches, I mean inches away from the, from the floor. Our nose is about to touch and all of a sudden that peace sweeps in. And all of a sudden we're standing back up and we're experiencing the peace of God. A few moments with God can yield a lifetime of peace. Let me say that again. A few moments with God can yield a lifetime of peace. So God shares his passion with us. He shares his peace with us. There's something else that God does in that intimate relationship. He will meet and satisfy your needs. God will bring provision. For whatever there is that you need. I love what Boaz says in, in, in verse 311. He says, I will do for you whatever you ask. Listen to me. God is willing to meet every relational need that you have. Whether you can name it or not. Every relational need. Yet sometimes our prayers go unanswered, don't they? How many of you have ever prayed a prayer? And it didn't get answered. Okay. Sometimes it's because we treat God like a vending machine. Okay. We buy our heads. We close our eyes. We put two quarters in the slot. And we press a button to get what we want. And we get mad if it doesn't come cold and fast. Or hot and quickly. Because we want what we want. God's not our personal genie. How many of you realize that when you get in trouble, you can't just rub the bottle every time? I mean, he, he's not Aladdin in the lamp, okay? He's God. His desire is to meet our relational needs. Out of relationship is where the other provisions usually come from. When he meets our relational needs and we build that relationship with him, we experience that relationship with him, those other needs just get met. When we pursue God for relationship, instead of what we can get, God responds. Okay. We spend far too much time trying to get something when we go to God instead of just spending time with God. When my daughter Amber was little, every so often she would crawl up in my lap and she would just take me by the cheeks and she would just say, Daddy, I love you. Can I just tell you something? I would have given her anything. As King Sir Herod said, up to half my kingdom. I would have given her anything. My granddaughter from time to time does that as well. She just crawls up. She, she doesn't want anything. She just wants to sit in my lap and she'll say, Papa, I just love you. My heart melts. I ain't going to lie to you. Papa, can I drive the car now? We go drive the car, okay? And she's only seven years old. She's never asked that. But I'm just, what I'm saying is, you know what? When you go to God and you just, you're just genuine, Father, I just love you. God's heart melts. He's drawn to that, okay? He is a creature with emotions. He is the creator with emotions, okay? He's not a creature. He is a person with emotions. That's where we got our emotions from. His heart melts. He loves it. Okay? He loves it. 
Well, I've never thought about God like that. Well, perhaps you need to. He's not angry sitting on the throne with his finger cocked. Okay, he's, that's not a picture of God. A few moments with God can yield a lifetime of peace. It can. Folks, it can, it can satisfy the needs that we have. If we just come to Him, we get that peace, we get that passion, we get those provisions. But there's a fourth reward that we find in this story. And the fourth reward of an intimate relationship, I put it this way, is validation and commendation instead of condemnation. And if I want to put it in one word, it's praise. How many of you enjoy being told that you've done a good job? All of us, just, we, all of us like a pat on the back every once in a while, right? Now there might be some of you who say, well, I don't need a pat on the back. I just, all of us need a pat on the back every once in a while. I love what Romans 8, 1 says. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If there's no condemnation, then there must be validation and commendation. Boaz commends Ruth with these words. You are a woman of excellence. Now you just put yourself in her place. She's basically jumped off the cliff. She's put everything on the line. She's put her, her, her uh, character, her standing in the community. Listen to me. She is a Moabitess. She's, she's a foreigner. She's not a Jewish woman. She's a foreigner in a foreign land with foreign cultures. And she has, she's put everything that she is on the line. And he says, you are a woman of excellence. Folks, our hearts earn, yearn and they ache for, that, for validation. Our hearts yearn for commendation. Some of you this morning just need to be still and listen to God. Listen to me. People don't flourish in the soil of condemnation. But every person will bloom. Every person will, will blossom when they are commended, when they are encouraged, when they are patted on the back, when they are validated. I love what God says in Scripture at different times. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. Enter into your father's rest. Some of you just need to hear that. And if you'll be still and you'll listen, you will hear God's voice of confirmation. Listen to me this morning. If you hear condemnation, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it's not God. So if it's not God, who is it? Well, it's either your voice or the voice of the enemy. It's probably, in all likelihood, the voice of the enemy. Because that's what he does. He condemns and he accuses. So if you're hearing condemnation, it's not God. Because God does not condemn. He confirms your righteousness, your standing, your, your holiness. They're all based in what Jesus Christ has already done. Listen to me. If you know Christ this morning, God is pleased with you. God's pleased with you. He's not angry. He's not out to get you. Listen to me. When you take that step into the relationship I'm talking about, there's no shame. There's no condemnation. There's no rejection from God. He will speak the exact words you need to hear to be who He created you to be. His praise will set you free. Listen to me. I know some of you grew up in households where you didn't get praise. You didn't get encouragement. You got pointed out what you had done wrong or what if, if you turned around and would do this, it would be better. That's not God. I mean, I can remember as a little bitty kid, my grandmother grabbing me up in her arms and saying, you've done good. 
I don't know what I, I don't know what I did. Okay. But she, she did that. She let me know that. I got enough of the other stuff. Just like you did. Folks, God will take you up in his arms. And from time to time, he will say, you've done good. Well done. Well done. So we get God's praise. We get God's provision. We get God's peace. We get his passion. But there's more. Okay? The fifth reward of an intimate relationship with God is a promise that is often the revelation of our destiny. God will give you a promise. If you will pursue him, there will be a moment when you get a promise. You get, you get the wor- a word. How many of you, maybe I should put it that way. All of us want a word from God. Well, there's a moment when if you'll pursue God, he'll give you a word. God, it may be a word out of scriptures. It may be one that the Holy Spirit just kind of breathes into your spirit. But you'll know it's yours. And nobody can tell you different. Listen to me. There's plenty of them out there who are, who are dressed in the religious spirit who will tell you that the only place you can get a word is out of the word of God. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit can just speak to you. He is God. He can talk any time and any place he wants to. Now, it should agree with Scripture. Don't misunderstand me. We can test it against the Scriptures. But the Holy Spirit sometimes will just whisper a word, and you will know that you know that you know it's yours. Because God has whispered it to you. Listen to me. An intimate whisper contains the language of love. It does. God will tell you things that belong to you, that meet your specific needs in whatever situation you're in, or fit the the particular circumstances that you find yourself in. And He will speak in a language that you can understand. You won't miss it. He will talk to you in your language, whatever that is. Okay? And He will use words that you won't have to go look up. You won't have to figure them out. He will talk plain. And you will understand him. Whatever that word is, whatever that promise is, it will be exactly what you need. You know what Boaz told Ruth? Look at verse 3, the latter part of, of verse 13. He says, I will redeem you. I will redeem you. That's what she'd come for. All the rest of the stuff that she gets is is like frosting on the cake. This is her need. And what does Boaz do? He goes to the heart of the matter. I will redeem you. She had her heart's desire. Listen to me. When God pursues us, we will have the desire of our heart. Boaz was telling Ruth in that moment, he was saying, I'll save you. I'll deliver you from everything. I will marry you. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. Ruth had her promise. If you and I pursue God in relationship, He will give you yours. Okay? He will give you yours. And it will be infinitely larger than you think it's going to be. Okay? It's always bigger. Remember what we talked about at the beginning about lavish? God goes big or He doesn't go at all. Okay? When God shows up, He shows out. There's, there's, when, when God acts, there's no wondering, is this really God or not? It's evident that it's God. Just look at Scripture from page 1 to the last page. When God shows up, He goes big. And, and, and He goes big when we pursue Him. So you'll get a promise very often. But it gets better. I'm almost done, but it gets better, okay? The sixth reward of an intimate relationship with God is the enjoyment of His presence. It's presence. Boaz told Ruth, he said, remain this night. Now, he could have sent her to the house when he woke up. But he says, remain this night. You know why? He invited her to enjoy his presence. He asked her to remain at his feet because he wanted her presence as much as she needed his 
Remember what I said early on? God desires your presence as much as you and I need His. Now that may be too much for you. I mean, that may just, your circuits may be blowing right now. The lights may be going out inside of you because it's just overload. I've never thought about God that way. Think about Him that way. Sometimes, sometimes when we spend real face time with God, from time to time, God will say something. He'll ask us just to stay a little longer, just to linger with Him. I don't know if you, if you call your time with God a quiet time or devotional time, whatever you call it. But when you set time apart for God and you're in that time and you're coming to the end of it, there will be moments from time to time when God will say, hey, won't you stay just a little bit longer? And you have to choose. I mean, all of us have a schedule, right? We've got to get to work. We've got to get breakfast fixed. We've got to get supper fixed. I mean, whatever you're, it is. But there are moments when God says, hey, won't you just stay a few more minutes? And that's what Boaz was saying here. Remain this night. Maybe you understand what I'm talking about right now. Maybe you don't. But there are moments when there's just a, a desire within you to stay, just to, just to, to be still. To not move, not say anything, and just to listen. And you choose to stay because you simply enjoy the presence of God. You simply enjoy being in His presence. I can't explain with words what happens. Because words can't describe it. But there's a change that takes place. There's a different level of, if you want to call it devotion time, or prayer time, or whatever you want to call it. It goes to a new level. And listen to me, once you taste God in this way, nothing else will satisfy you. You will go back tomorrow with a hunger for more. And more, and more, and more. And I said it last week, but once you taste God in this way, you are ruined. Alright? You're ruined. And nothing else will satisfy your hunger except more of God. Let me say it again. God desires your presence. He wants your presence as much as you need His. So there's presence. There's one final thing. That takes place. As the sun begins to, to peak over the horizon that morning. As it begins to rise in the, in the eastern sky. Ruth gets up. She gathers up her stuff. And she prepares to go back home to Naomi. But something else happens. Boaz does exactly what God will do. Every time you have a moment of intimacy with him. I want you to listen to the words of Boaz. In verse 15, he says, And again he said, Give me the cloak that is on you, and hold it. So she held it, and he measured six measures of barley, and he laid it on her. And then she went into the city. Now the sad thing is, we read this, and we just, blah, 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 go right through it. Listen to me. As Ruth prepared to go, Boaz poured out a blessing on her. He wouldn't allow her to leave empty-handed. Six measures of barley equals anywhere from 80 to 100 pounds. I worked on a farm when I was a kid. And can I just tell you, 100 pounds like a grain is a whole lot to pick up. And I can't even imagine putting it up on my head. But he, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just dip a cup of grain out there on her. He just starts pouring. And she, and she gathers up that cloak and, and, and her, her, her outer garment. And he picks it up and he puts it on her head. And off she goes. See, that grain was the glory of Boaz. I mean, that's what they've been harvesting for the last few weeks. That's why he's spending the night 
at the threshing floor. It's because of the grain. It's His glory. And when He pours it into Ruth's cloak, listen to me, I guarantee you, it's, it's overflowing on her way home. It's, it's dribbling out the edges. I mean, I mean, I don't know how you balance a 100-pound sack of grain on your head anyway, but, you know, she's trying to keep... Listen to me, the glory of Boaz is just dripping all over her. And when you have an intimate relationship with God... There's always enhancement. There's always more. There's the blessing of His presence. There's pleasure. I mean, that's the, that's the word, I guess, that best describes this. There's pleasure. Whenever we leave that intimate time with God, we never leave empty-handed. We always leave with more than we came with. He blesses us with excess. God is a God of excess and for heaven's sake, if we would just learn that God is a God of excess. He is not a miser. He's not a penny pincher. Whenever he does it, like I said a while ago, he does it big. When, when he wanted to show Noah that there wouldn't be any more floods, he didn't just tell him. He painted a rainbow in the sky. When he destroyed the, the gods of, uh, of Egypt, he didn't just send one plague, he sent ten. And they got progressively worse every time. They got bigger. Folks, he didn't send an angel to save us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's the most excessive, excessive extravagant gift that he could give. My beloved Son, my only begotten Son, the only one I've got, I sent to die for you. God is a God of excess. He blesses us with excess. Listen, that blessing may be more anointing. It may be more power. It may be more authority. It may be more covering. It may be more in intimacy. It may be more of something else that you need. It may be something you can't even name. But when you spend time with God, it's evident that you have been with God. They can see it in your countenance. When, when Ruth got home, Naomi asked her, how did it go? And then she sees her, and she don't have to ask anymore. I mean, she's not carrying a quart of barley. She's got a sack that's kind of, you know, it's just kind of drooping down over her eyes and her ears and I mean, I, it may be on her shoulders by now. She's doing all she can to get it in there. It's evident that she has experienced the pleasure of Boaz. There's grain dripping off of her. She'd, she'd spent an extended period of time with When Moses, and I used this last week, but it just it rocks my world. When Moses spent an extended period of time with God, his skin absorbed the glory of God. He looked like a Roman candle when he came off that mountain. He, I mean, he looked like a fireworks show. And everybody know it, knew it. They were terrified. He had, to, he had to cover it up. Man, I wish we had to cover it up. But instead we live like paupers. God is a God of excess. Once Naomi saw that grain, she didn't need an explanation. She could see the blessing. And you know what? I'm sure, I've just shared seven things. But I'm sure there are countless other things and other ways that, that God might reward a person who has an intimate relationship with Him. But I'm going to tell you, if you just get these seven, it will revolutionize your life with God. And if we'll just pursue Him, He'll pour out more glory on us than we can stand. He'll pour out more presence on us than he can, we can stand. Because you know what? When we pursue Him, He will pursue us. And He brings far more than we do to the table. And Scripture says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. So everything Jesus gets, we get a dose of it too. I'm about to preach myself happy. I may not be able to, to eat today. Listen, God will pour out more glory on you than you can stand if you will just 
pursue him. That's what an intimate relationship with God looks like. Now here's the question. Are we willing to conceive that? Let it just kind of percolate in our brain a little bit. Are we willing to believe it? Take another step. But that's not enough just to believe it. I know plenty of Christians who tell you they've got faith. But they don't have any of God's glory on them. They look like paupers, spiritually speaking. We can't just conceive it. We can't just believe it. Folks, we have to receive it. We have to accept it. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I should use this illustration or not, but I, I would just imagine when, when Ruth got home and she got that 100 pounds of grain off her head, that she, if she didn't dive in there and make grain angels. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's more the picture, okay? It's just the picture. Some of us need to get a little excited. Are we willing to just receive it? Or do you like the taste of religion better? Okay. The question, it's up to you. We've got to start living in that atmosphere. We've got to begin to live with that attitude. We are not beggars. We are the sons and the daughters of God. Okay? He owns the cattle on all the hills. Everything is His. And if it's His, and I'm His son, or you're His daughter, or you're His son, it's yours too. Everything we need, He possesses. And listen to me. If He doesn't have it, He'll create it. Okay? He'll roll two or three things together and they'll be what we need. Folks, religion is killing us. It's killing us. It's lied to us. And we've believed it's lies. We just need some relationship. Listen to it. When we have a relationship with God, we experience His passion. We experience His peace. We experience His provisions, His praise, His promises, His presence, His pleasure. Hmm. I'm just going to stop, okay? I can't make you have a relationship. I can't pursue God for you. I can't even tell you really how to do it. Because He's created us with different ways to pursue Him. Because one size does not fit all. So you have to pursue Him. But if you will pursue Him, I guarantee you, He will pursue you back. And when He pursues you, it will be overwhelming. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.